we're, going, we're finishing up our series, and we actually finish it next week on Easter, uh, this catechism, which really means to teach, to instruct. It's a, it's a biblical word from the New Testament, to catechize, to teach. And we've been going through this, this series for a couple months now, since the fall, I believe. And we are finishing, um, and the, the final concept that we really need to think on is Christ and who he is now like now that he's resurrected. And I think it's fitting that we're going to finish this on, on Easter Sunday. Um, so it's really, it's really exciting. But how many of you guys have ever met somebody um, and you were just talking? I mean, yeah, you don't have to, that wasn't the end of the question. There's more to the question. I'm sure you've met somebody because you're here. Um, and you speak English, so you've met somebody. Um, how many of you met somebody who you didn't really know who they were for a little while. And when you discovered who they were or their position of authority or their, their giftings, you started to like feel like you should have changed your behavior when you first met them. Like I get that all. Like I, I work with the police and I don't understand patch systems on their shoulders. So like I'll meet somebody thinking he's just like, you know, brand new, he's young and he's a new, you know, police officer, patrolman and find out he's like the second in command. I'm like, I probably should have called you by some title. I don't, I don't know what to say. I, I get that all the time. Like, I'll go into a place and people will think that I'm just your average stocky white dude. Um, and then they find out that I'm a, I'm a pastor and they want to start acting like I'm a priest. They're, like, doing one of these things and they're, like, s- repenting for saying curse words. I'm like, guys, I don't care. Like, I'm a dude. Like, it's uh, whatever. You know, but it's like, you guys know what I'm talking about. You meet somebody you're like, man, I kind of look silly. You know, I can't believe that I said that. Um, I was reading through this text, and it's funny because this text has been in my heart for a couple of weeks, and there's a few things that the Lord's showing me in it, so I want to kind of hit on a few of these things with you this morning. But I think in some way Peter was like this. Peter sees Jesus, meets Jesus, and he has one way of addressing Jesus. And then as the Holy Spirit begins to reveal who he is, his attitude toward Christ had to change. His, the way that he received and, and sat under Christ had to change. There had to be a change in his vocabulary with him. Does that make sense? If you would go to Luke chapter 5, which I preached out of this a few weeks ago. Um, I want to thank Ralph for dropping Luke 5 into my heart a few weeks ago. Um, but let's go there. and We're just going to look at the first 11 verses today. In our series, we, we, are, we are addressing the question, uh, who Christ is now? Why is he referred to as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Why is that a part of what we believe? We believe um, at City Lights and in Christian faith that Jesus is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Um, that's who he is. Um, but I want to discover a little bit of why this morning. Luke chapter 5. I'm still flipping. I was just pretending to a minute ago. Now I'm in the middle of a random chapter. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion... While the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. By the, he was preaching the word, hear, to hear him word. There was a crowd pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which really is the Sea of Galilee. It's another term for it. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he, sat, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, let's stop there for a second. So Jesus has his crowd wanting to hear his teaching. And Simon is a fisherman. Simon doesn't know Jesus, right? Doesn't know who he is. 
And, and most likely Andrew was here in the situation as well, his brother, Simon's brother. And so they're in the boat. They bring their boat in. They've been fishing all night, we'll discover in a few minutes. And they park their boat, and they're washing their nets. They're done. Jesus is coming, and he's got this crowd that he's been teaching. And Jesus sees these, two bo- these boats unoccupied, and he decides, I'm going to get in this one, which is Peter's. And he looks at Peter, and he's like, hey, can you uh, row this out just a little bit for me? And Peter's like, he probably sees the crowd. Okay, I'm kind of washing my nets right now. I'm done fishing for the day. Let's get in my boat, stranger. And so they go out and it says, Jesus continues to teach the crowds. And when he was done teaching, he said this. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master. Simon answered, Master. We toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. There's a few things I want to point out here. So Jesus gets into this boat, and, and there's a crowd that's around here. There's, they've been listening to Jesus teach. They've been listening to him speak. Peter sees this, and he listens to what Jesus says to do. He goes out to let him teach a little bit more. But when Jesus had stopped teaching, there's this attitude in Peter. He says, hey, hey Peter, let's go out to the deep and put our nets back down. They had just finished cleaning their nets, right? Like, I'm not a fisherman, so I don't know how long that takes, but they've finish the job. How many of you guys have ever finished a job to realize you got to do it all over again? Like how many of you ever bought like a, a, a furniture from Target? You followed the instructions, you put it all together, and you realize that one of the first pieces you put on that everything's attached to is backwards, and you got to do it all over again with that one little Allen wrench that they give you? You're like, you're, and that's like hitting the floor every time, so you got to pull it out and use the small end. You guys know what I'm talking about. You men are like, I have done this a thousand times for my wives. It's a little piece, one tool, they say, it's all you need. Got blisters on my fingers, right? Like, you don't want to do that job again. You just put all the tools away. Like, my toolbox is in the basement. Once I put my tools back in the basement, I'm not fixing anything for weeks. Like, it's done. Jesus says, hey, you guys were out here all night. Let's go back out in the deep and fish again. And Peter says, Master, I did this all night. I got nothing. But because you said so, I'll do this. I'll do this. There's an act of obedience when Peter recognizes now. Now he recognizes Jesus as master. That doesn't mean like king of kings, lord of lords. What it means is it's a good term for somebody of importance like rabbi or teacher. He says, teacher, you've been, he just heard him teaching. So now there's a, a level of authority that he knows Christ carries. And so he's willing to be obedient because of that authority. There's a level of, of addressing Christ as a teacher, as a rabbi, as somebody of influence. He says, because you said so, rabbi, I'll do this. You're more important than me. You've got more class. You've got more prestige. You've got higher position up the ranking than I do. I'm a fisherman. I didn't make it through 
rabbi school. Literally every Jewish boy had to go to school. And if you were the best of the best of the best of the best of the best, like that's what school is for. You, if you went through it all, if you memorized the whole entire Old Testament, some rabbi would look at you and say, hey, you can be like me and follow me. Make, be my disciple. Be a little rabbi. Peter was not a little rabbi. So here comes a teacher of great importance with a crowd following him and says, hey, do this. And Peter's like, all right, you're more important than me. I'll do it. He gets out there. And what happens? The same place that they had toiled all night, the same body of water, the same fish in the same sea. It's not a different sea where some guy's over there stocking the, the river, you know. It's, not, it's the same thing. The same nets that they just put away, they drop in, and now what's happening? A miracle happens. Their nets can't contain these fish. They're calling their friends, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come over here and help me. Use your boat. Use your net. We got we to do something with all these fish. And both their boats are sinking. And Peter, what happens? He sees the divine anointing, the power that came on Christ, that who Christ was, after he had heard the teaching, he now sees the power, and he falls on his face in the boat and says, get away from me, I'm, I'm a sinful man. You are Lord. You are Lord. You are Lord. I want to say that after he finished speaking is when we see the power of the Spirit displayed that gave authority to what he had previously taught. I would say that there's too many Christians who are known for our teachings with things like love and forgiveness, but our actions depict a different message, a message of judgment or having grudges or offense in our heart. Where we preach one message, but the response after the message is over is a completely different thing. So the power negates the message we just spoke. Christ gets into a boat, preaches a message, and then displays the power and the authority to back that message up. The church has to be a place that we speak the words of truth and then our actions follow up truth and give it authority. I'll preach over here because Mike, Mike's on the same page as me. The rest of you guys can listen in. It's all right. We say that we serve a God who heals the sick, who casts out demons, who set people free. And then when we pray for somebody who's sick, it's kind of like these, like, you know, we're making a wish in a candle. You know, it's our fifth birthday. Please, dear Jesus, maybe. Uh, nothing this time. What if the prayers that we pray, we knew had authority because God told us to pray them. And when we pray those prayers the power of the Holy Spirit was on us, we saw the prayers answered, and it backed up the message that we preach every Sunday. What if we started having the authority of Christ in our prayer language? That's what I loved last week. Dan wasn't afraid to do risky things. Hey, who here is healed now? Right? That's a risk. Dan even said there's been plenty of times where nobody says anything, then later they come up to him after everybody's left and said, oh yeah, that was me. Like, I took a risk. Did not, like, you can look like an idiot sometimes in the kingdom. It's okay. Right? I've preached bad messages before. I know that. It's not about that. Wait, did somebody say amen? It was, it was Ben. I'm, I'm really rethinking things with him. I'm kidding. I'm glad that wasn't like a thunderous applause at that moment. <laughs> We, we, we live in a, we are servants, we are disciples of a God who has given us authority and to, we are supposed to use that authority to take risks, to be obedient, right? I love that Peter was obedient when he thought he was just a teacher. 
but there's a whole different display when he knows who he is, when he sees the lordship, the power that Christ carries. That happens like over and over with Peter, doesn't it? Like how many times did God show up and Peter's like, what? My mind is blown, right? He's just, like that's who he is. He went from calling him master, a sign of respect for a good teacher, and then he leaves with something very different. He says, you're Lord. There's a shift from master to Lord. The power of God caused Peter in that moment to recognize his own brokenness, his own sin, and see the glory of Christ. I love that Jesus didn't preach some kind of repentance message there, but what are the words that Peter says? Get away from me, which I don't think was serious because they're in the middle of the water and he hadn't seen him walk on water yet, so he probably wasn't telling him to get out of the boat. He was saying, who am I? It's like Isaiah, who am I? I have unclean lips. What am I going to do around you? I'm not worthy to be in the same boat you are in. I'm a sinful man, he says. Here's Peter, a rugged fisherman, full of zeal and pride, as we see often in the Scripture. And he bows down in his own boat and says, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. The glory of God reveals our own position and highlights the glory of his position. When he moves, when he does something, it highlights who he is and lets us see who we are without him. I was reading a commentary um, that talked about this, and it said, fear is the common reaction to the experience of God's glory, right? Fear is the common reaction to the experience of God's glory. And I liked that at first, and I thought, no, that's ridiculous. Fear is the common reaction to our initial glimpse of God's glory. But when we know who we are in Christ... Fear is not a part of our lives. There's no fear in him. There's a sense of awe and wonder, but not fear. Would you know that you're a son and a daughter called to the same thing that you've seen him display? You know you have purpose and there's not a sense of fear. There's a sense of wonder. Peter went from being the one falling on his face to walking with these same sorts of miracles in his life for crowds, and they are bowing down to him. You see this with Paul, especially, where they like, want to worship him as God. He's like, no, I'm not God. And they're like, okay, we're going to kill you. It's, like, it's super confusing. There's this sense that when God moves, our first reaction is a sense of fear. Think of, think of the shepherds when the angels show up, the glory of God coming, giving them good news. And they're like, hey, why are you, why are you freaking out here? Like, this is good news I'm bringing you. When God shows up in his glory to sons and daughters, it's for good things to happen through sons and daughters. It's to show you who he is and what he wants to do in and around you. The power of God forces us to make a decision as to who or what we are going to serve. It removes middle ground. Here in this moment, Peter is all about fishing, all about his career, right? And God shows up and he falls down on his face and says, I'm, I'm worth nothing. Jesus says, okay, these fish, like, don't, don't fear. He says, fear not. Jesus says, fear not, doesn't he? Fear not. From now on, I'm making you fishers of men. Now on, you got a new job, and they leave it all behind to go after. And it wasn't just Peter. It was all four of them. They're like, we're going to follow this guy. We're gonna, See you, Dad. Keep up with the boats. We're going to go follow him now. They have a new purpose. At that moment, when God shows up, anytime God shows up in the miraculous, when God intervenes in your life, there's a, we have a decision to make. 
I have to either be for this or against this. I have to serve him as Lord or I have to continue to do my own thing. Peter could have stayed in the boat and kept being a fisherman. And that probably wouldn't have been successful for him. But he left it all behind, the biggest catch he's ever had, to serve the Lord of Lords, to go after him. This morning, I want to ask you, do you recognize the Lordship of Christ? Do you, do you recognize that when he moves, it causes us to make decisions? C.S. Lewis said this. He says that you can only look at Jesus, you can only recognize him and say that he was either Lord a lunatic, or a liar. There's no place in anything Jesus said or did to call him master, a good teacher, or rabbi. He was not some good prophet, as some religions would say. He is not just a good man who, good did, who did good deeds. He is either the Lord of your life, the Lord of lords and king of kings, he is some crazy lunatic who thinks he's God, or he's a liar trying to trick everybody. There, when God shows up, Jesus came and showed up in the flesh with word and deed, backing himself up and says, you have an ultimatum in front of you. Are you going to follow me and be fishers of men, or are you going to do your own thing? That's why the Pharisees see Jesus heal, and they start calling, saying that it's from Satan. And Jesus is like, you don't even understand. The house divided against itself couldn't stand. That doesn't make any sense what you just said. And he begins to talk about blasphemy of the Spirit, the unforgivable sin. When you see God move in your life, you have to make a decision. Those Pharisees knew all signs say, yes, this is the Messiah. And still, because of their hardest of hearts, they chose to stay in their own boat of religion. God's like, I can't do anything more to that. I've already showed up in my power. You're stuck there. I can't, I can't work with you. Right? When God shows up, we have a decision to make. Are we for his power? Are we for his authority or are we against it? Are we going after his authority? Are we going after his influence in the world? Or are we going against it? Are we staying in our own boats of religion? Are we staying in our own boats of tradition? Are we staying in our own boats of, you know, Sunday morning church? The rest of the week I work really hard. I got these things with my kids in the evening. And then on Sunday morning the alarm goes off. I'm like, ah, oh, God church again that's just what i do the rest of my life you were not created to worship one sunday work really hard make a big account in your bank raise a couple of kids and then die that's not what life is for it's for every day you to be the sons and daughters of the king of kings the lord of lords the only sovereign the only one say being his ambassadors on the earth proclaiming and displaying the kingdom of god everywhere you go that's an exciting life peter had kids Peter had a wife. We see that Jesus came and healed his mother-in-law. That means he had a wife. Like nobody just signs up for a free mother-in-law without a wife. Like, <laughs> this doesn't happen. <laughs> I'd like you, but not her. Like what? It doesn't happen. Peter's like, yeah, this guy, this, this guy's worth more than me just doing my nine to five thing, my fishing thing. I clean my nets, but I'll, I'll, I'll tear these nets up. I'll leave them behind to follow him. Now, I don't think he was a bad dad who left his wife and kids. That's not what I'm saying. I think that became a part of it. I think it became a part of his ministry. What I'm saying is there's something more for you that God's calling you to, and it's more than just preaching the words. It's also acting on the authority of the words. It's living in power through the Holy Spirit. Anybody agree with me this morning on that? I was just curious. Just want to make sure. There's a second thing that I want to talk about this morning with this same passage, and it's something I've been wrestling with about a week and a half now. Um, so I'm meeting with some pastors, and 
you know, as pastors get together in our circles, we analyze. We analyze ourselves. We analyze other churches. We analyze each other, like, not in a judgmental way, but in a conversational way, right? And we're talking about desiring to see God move through this region. God pour out his spirit. And then we look at what we have. We look at our nets. I've got 1924 North Main Avenue City Lights Church, an old Methodist building with a tin roof that doesn't work for sound. And we have, you know, a lot of young leaders and we have a church of this size, blah, blah, blah. This is what we have. So if the Lord poured out, this is the, I'm just saying this is the common language, okay? If the Lord showed up in a revival, we wouldn't have the kid space. I don't have the leadership structure. What do you, you don't have a discipleship program that's going to sustain a revival. So Maybe we're not ready for a revival. Maybe nothing can happen for a while. Maybe we got to get our nets bigger. And the last week, what the Lord convicted my heart of is that I keep looking at my nets and not the fish he has. I think that when he says at the end of this, I'm making you fishers of men so that we get the image that being a fisher of men has nothing to do with the structures we build or the evangelism training that we go to or the gifts of the Spirit that we've already seen in our past, in our own lives. Your nets have nothing to do with the material you've put together and said, this is my net or this is my boat. It has everything to do with being obedient and putting it where he says, and then watching him sink your boat with his harvest. Being a fisher of men says that I can look at these other pastors and say, guys, I don't really care that we don't have the discipleship training structure. If God wants to pour out a spirit and if we're obedient, he'll provide the nets to get us to shore. He'll, he'll figure out the teamwork to get us all there. He'll wreck our church structures to bring in the harvest. That's what I want right now. I want God to wreck our boxes like Ben preached a few weeks ago. I want God to come in in a way to where we are, we are believing for a harvest. We are believing for something bigger than what we feel like we can sustain in ourselves. It's because he's Lord. He's Lord over it. He's the king of kings. He does what he wants. Jesus takes him out to the same place, the same lake, in the same boat, with the same nets, and he sees a different thing come in. Like, that's awesome. That's awesome. We've got to stop thinking about our structures. I mean, structures are important for us to work on. We can tweak things. But if we're not obedient, if we're not seeing something more, I, w- I was talking to Mike, and we were talking about Daniel and his team, and I, and I know he won't be upset about this, because I, I noticed it too. When Daniel, at the end of the service, was talking about um, honoring the leadership, which is always uncomfortable for me to talk about, just so you know. Um, but he was talking about, you know, that God could have put me in different places, in bigger cities, in places with more influence. Um, I, I thought, like, Dan, this could sound like you're demeaning of Scranton. Like, it, sound, it sounds like whatever. But let's be honest. It's Scranton, people. <laughs> Scranton is not the coolest city in America, let alone the Northeast. <laughs> like, like, we're the coolest city in Northeast PA, so all you Wilkes-Barre people, I'm sorry about that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> But, like, nobody, like, wakes up and is like, ah, I live in Tallahassee. I'm going to move to Scranton, Pennsylvania because it's super awesome there. It's still winter and springtime. 
and the streets are dirty and full of potholes, right? And everybody's post-religious, whatever, and stoic. He's right. Like, there's nothing gleaming or shining about this city. But what I want to say, and I know Dan sees it too, when I'm in my boat and the water looks like there's no fish, I see that there's a ton of fish underneath the surface waiting to come up, waiting to be caught. I see that this city is beautiful underneath the water. We just got to pull, up at, pull it out of the water, pull it out of the deep. That we need to let God's glory be seen in this city. That's why I'm here. I mean, that's the only reason that I'm here. Because I, I believe there is a harvest that we have to partner in and pull out. That you and I are all called to be fishers of men. And we can't just be fishers of men if we teach a message and then our behavior doesn't respond to that message. If our, if our words that we say don't line up with the actions that we follow up the words with. Make sense? And, I, and I'm, I'm not just talking about the supernatural. I'm talking about the supernatural using your gifts and, and praying and believing for God to do the supernatural, but also in the very natural being people of generosity, love, forgiveness. I mean, I can't tell you. This is a true story. When Dan Muller was here, he preached on be, living a beyond offense, that you can't say anything to offend him. You can't hurt him in any way, right? And talking about the gospel of love, that God is love. It's how we live. If I just live love, I can't be offended by the things that you say or do against me, right? I literally had people say, they keep preaching that silly gospel of love. I have the right to be offended with certain people. No, you don't, boss. <laughs> Christ killed that right on the cross. We, we need to be people who live above offense. We need to actually get out, of, get out of our old thinking and say, Christ, you are Lord. You're everything. You're everything. And so I'm submitting to that. And then watch the harvest God brings in. Watch what he does here. I know I'm going off on a tangent this morning, but it's in my heart. And let's just blame this on Martin. If you don't like my message this morning, blame it on Martin. It's his fault. First Peter chapter 6 says this. So this is the words of Peter later on. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you were made you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you by the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who is the testimony, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. This is the word of the St. Peter who was a fisherman saying, look, I want you to remind you of the eternal life, the life that you were called to when you made your confession of faith. When you said that Christ is Lord, you have a life that you have to live up to now under the lordship, the kingship of Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. That's who we live our lives to now. 
Let me remind you, church, that you are no longer living lives for yourself or for your family's name. Somebody once asked me, like, Jesse, you have three girls. Aren't you a little sad that the Miller name will stop? I never really liked the name Miller to begin with. Like, I don't even know what it means. Miller, like, whatever. Who cares? It's an, uh, maybe that's wrong, but I don't really care. What I care about is will my girls serve Jesus every day of their lives? Will their future husbands, are their future husbands being taught and trained in a Christian home that understands the gospel, that is passionate about Jesus, and isn't afraid to give up their lives for something way greater, for the eternal kingdom, for the only sovereign one? That's my hope. That's my prayer. That's the only name that matters. That's the only life that matters. Peter reminds the church, do you remember who you said you were committed to? Do you remember that you fight the good fight of faith? You take hold of the eternal life that Christ has given you. You grab onto that and you fight for it under the Lordship of Christ. Jesus is referred to as the King of Kings because He was triumphant. He had a triumphant death, victory over death, hell, and the grave. Jesus is given the name above all names. And one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Peter's in the boat, tired from a hard night of work. He hears the teaching of Jesus, and then he sees the miracle of Jesus, and he falls to his face to a new Lord, to the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Peter, James, Andrew, John, they had... All their lives were completely altered, completely changed, because they no longer heard teachings from a rabbi or a master, but they saw the power of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They became fishers of men, and they brought these men into the kingdom of God. You and I get to, it's our privilege to be fishers of men, to bring them under the Lordship of Christ to bring them under the King of Kings. I love that Peter says he's the only sovereign. The only sovereign. He's the only one that matters. Trump, Russia, I don't even, I don't, whoever sits on the throne anywhere, it doesn't matter, there's only one sovereign, right? There's only one sovereign. That's the only, one, that's the only thing that matters. This morning I want to address two main things with, with you. If you could stand. For some of for for someone or some some of us in this room, um, church is just the thing you do on Sunday. Christianity is just one of faiths, one of the many, and it's it's a good one, but it's one of many. And I would say to you, today is the day where, where Jesus says, "I want you to see me no longer as a teacher among many, but as the Lord of the Lords, the one above everything, the one that every knee will bow." Today is the day for that. For a lot of you in this room, I feel like you're li- in your life in some, some way or another, you're constantly evaluating the net size that you have. Whether that's your skills or your job, your influence, your, your income, your resources, you're constantly evaluating. And so you define what you can do for the kingdom of God or in life based off of what you see your net looking like. Does that make sense? You guys understand what I'm saying there? And I would say that today is the day to stop looking at the size of your net, your skills, your talent, your company size, whatever, and recognize that you serve the Lord of Lords who made the net. And he can make you a new one like that. 
He'll give you a new boat if you need a new boat. In fact, if you're like Peter, he says, get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. I, I, there might, in some ways, you might have to do some fishing outside of a boat, just standing on water, because you're living that deep in faith. Like, I don't even have a boat to do what he's called me to do. I don't have a net, but I'm just standing here on the edge, on the, on the water, picking fish out. I don't, I, I'm just, I want you to have a bigger image for what God wants to do with you. Make sense? Stop giving yourselves these restrictive lines that say, this is how God can use me. Forget that. Be a fisher of men, but you have to be obedient. Like Peter would have never got that catch if he didn't say, Master, at your word, I'll do this. I love that Jesus sends out disciples before the power of the Holy Spirit's on them. They're with him, and then he says, hey, go out, heal the sick, cast out demons, do miracles, do signs and wonders, and they do. And Pentecost hasn't happened yet. We live after Pentecost, where the power of the Holy Spirit comes and blows and sits on our head like a flame of tongues, and he's given gifts, the power of prophecy, the power of words of wisdom, administrative gifts and task gifts and loving, compassion gifts, and all kinds of supernatural gifts, the gifts of healing, the gifts of faith. He's given you those gifts. How much more do you think that you can do if you're living a life obedient, forgetting about the net size, and under the power of the Holy Spirit? So much we could be doing right now. What I want to do this morning, uh, we're going to worship just for a few moments, and I want to ask you to personally ask the Lord to transform your heart and and let you see bigger boats, bigger nets. Like, honestly, don't even see the nets. Just see his fish in your own heart. You got you to know what that means for you. I don't, I don't know what that means for you. And then ask him what to do with it in this season. Ask him what obedience looks like. There's never a part in your life, there's never a day in the life that he, he didn't pre-know. He hasn't already established, right? If you're in him, he's already established every day. And so I don't believe that there's days where God just looked at the calendar of your life and said, let's just waste that day. Let's just do nothing that day. Let's just make this 24-hour void of nothingness. I don't believe that God's ever done that in my life or your life. That he looks at each day and says, I got a plan for him. They can be working on this that day. They can be obedient here that day. I want, I want you to ask the Lord, where do I need to be obedient today? What does that look like right now? And help me to do that. And I also want the prayer team to come forward. Sarah, they already know who they are. Come forward if you're part of the prayer team. Because like I said at the beginning of this, I don't believe that, that we are supposed to be a church that preaches a message and then doesn't back it up with anything. And I want to continue the theme. I, I feel like this morning and even last week, there was high, high emphasis on anxiety issues and health issues, sleep issues, stuff like that in our church. And I want to encourage you. I believe and I know that God is going to heal and set free in issues of anxiety, depression, and also in issues of health issues, like sicknesses. So if you have a sickness in your body that you can't see, like the doctors aren't shaking, they're not touching, come forward, let one of these guys pray for you. If you have some anxiety, stress, whatever, at work, I don't care what it is, any, any place, if it's in your heart, come forward and get prayer because I believe that we serve a God who breaks every chain, who lights up every shadow, and who heals the sick. Amen? I believe that there's going to be testimonies that come out of this moment. Not just from you casting new nets this week, but also from God healing and saving. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men.
And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I've been saying a lot about fear not being a part of the Christian vocabulary or life. And I really mean that. If I harp on that a lot, it's because it's still here. It's, I still feel like there's so many of us living with anxiety and fear. Any decision based in fear is not a decision based out of the kingdom. Any decision, any life choice you make based out of fear, you can call it smart, you can call it good planning, you can call it being whatever, careful. But any fear that's based out, any, any decision based out of fear is not based from the kingdom perspective. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. That is the mandate for every believer. That is the calling for us to live without fear and to be catching men. Father, I thank you for this group of fishers that you've called us to leave the boats and the nets and all the limits that we had and to to live with above fear, above anxiety, to live without worry because we know that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and we are fishers of men now. You have put us in positions to be fishers of men, to bring them into your kingdom. You are the only sovereign, the only true God. And so, Father, it's a joy, it's a privilege, it's, it's a right, it's, it's, a, it's an honor, it's amazing to be called sons and daughters, to be brought out of darkness and into your kingdom, to be on work, on mission with your kingdom. So, Father, I pray this week that you would bring testimonies, God, that next week there would be so many testimonies of lives transformed, healings that have taken place, words of knowledge that were given. Father, that you would be glorified, that the The kingdom of heaven will be revealed through us in this city and in our workplaces and in our families, we pray. God, that's all that we want. We're passionately going after the kingdom of heaven revealed now to us and through us, Father. God, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stir our affections for one desire, and that's to see you glorified here and now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.